0: 26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football
1: coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins, again, gives to Benjamin, hit dropped in the backfield. Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado.
0: Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young
1: men in that room, they're hungry.
0: Reception thrown by Martinez.
1: It's picked off by guess who? Nate Landman. I've never been
0: in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez
1: takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown. Welcome back to episode 16 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Uh, We're just going to go over the Utah and CU game that happened here a couple weeks ago and then kind of go over pretty much what we're looking forward to for the next season. We're going to go ahead and just skip the weekly recap for the Pac-12 since we are a couple weeks out. And obviously the teams that are bowl eligible already know so. And the teams that are in the playoff also are aware of that. So um, we're just going to jump right into it with the Utah game. And to be honest, um, even though the the final score was forty five fifteen, I was actually really impressed with the way the team came out and played against this Utah team because, regardless of the outcome in the Pac twelve championship, I, I legitimately think Utah is like a top seven or eight team in the country, and I think the the I mean the bus played them hard for for two quarters before I think talent just kind of took over.
0: Yeah, I mean. I think the fact of the matter is we just, we weren't as good as they were and eventually it was going to show up, especially um, with Utah being at home and us being on the road in a place that is notoriously difficult to play in. You know, I felt like we needed to kind of play a perfect game to have a shot at this one. And the, and we definitely didn't, I mean, we were able to battle, we hung around you know, took a 7-0 lead. The defense played really well for a good chunk of this game before they kind of wore out. But, you know, it was one of those things where you could just see slowly as the game went on, we were wearing down and wearing down. And as it started to get a little farther away, um, it was getting harder to see us actually pulling this game out. And then I, I think the backbreaker was the punt return for sure. That was like the that was the dagger um yeah but i think it, it just got to the point where yeah you know you've got a team that's been playing this is their third straight game trying to save that bowl eligibility and you know there's a lot of emotion and stuff that comes into it with that and they just they've had two close games back to back right before this you know it just kind of all piled on to end 45 to 15 in a game that was for most of that game was closer than that, I would say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely right. When the when the punt return happened, at that point it was 24-7 and C was punting. And I, I still felt like there was like a small chance of not necessarily winning, but at least making it a competitive game. Right. And I mean, he just he just burned by everybody and took it to the house. But, you know, I think kind of as you mentioned, the defense really did, I think, played well in the first half. I mean, they held a Utah team that just looking at their last so many games had scored 35, 49, 33, 35, 21. But they did a lot of that damage in the first half. They didn't – I mean, they did – They it was pretty equal across their halves. And for the first half, this was only a 17-7 to 7 game. So uh, I was impressed with that. And it just – yeah, talent took over here. But I think uh, the first thing I wanted to mention about the defense at least is I think Summers did call – a pretty solid game. Um, I, I don't think he like really. I don't think it was his fault they scored forty five. I think that was execution and talent. But I think for the most part, he was putting guys in position to succeed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he pretty much did what he could. You know, there are a couple of moments. I think that first Utah touchdown, Davion Taylor has Tyler Huntley right there. I mean, he was in on a blitz and was so close to him. And I think this probably happened four or five times in this game where we had guys all around him and he was able to just kind of escape and make a big play. And he threw that touchdown and it it was almost like, okay, now they're locked in as soon as he did that, you know? And, and that was after the game had started with really the buffs shooting themselves in the foot a little bit where the first drive, they didn't really go anywhere and they punted. Um, and they, They punted and then they force a Utah punt and immediately Demetri Stanley fumbles the punt and Utah gets it. And you're like, okay, here we go. And then the defense forces another punt and then the offense can't do anything and almost has an opportunity to make a big play on the other end with the Utah punt fumble. And, you know, it's like we just couldn't get on top of it. And all these things kept happening where you're just thinking, man, we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, but the defense was keeping them in it while that was happening, you know, because, because like I said, I went in thinking this has to be a perfect game and it definitely didn't start that way. So the defense started out, they were hanging in there. Um, but they did have their, their moments where like they make one or two more tackles getting Tyler Huntley down to the ground on a couple of drives and, and instead of touchdowns, they have field goals or punts and, and we're still winning or tied or whatever at the half. So they just made a couple of mistakes early and I think it ended up wearing them down throughout the game for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think with the, with the run defense as well, you know, it doesn't really show it in the box score because of Brent, how, how do they say
0: his name on TV? Kuth or Kweith or? Yeah. Kuth, I think is what Kuth. they were saying on TV, TV, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, he had a couple of, he had a couple big runs or I guess it was probably one big run, but, you know, you, they held Zach Moss to 88 yards on 20 carries. So, I mean, he's one of the top backs in the country, and he had a relatively average game. And then, I mean, Huntley didn't do anything in terms of getting outside of the pocket. I think a couple, a little bit of that has to account for the fact that we did have a couple sacks in there. But, I mean, for the most part, the run defense, which is essentially returning everybody, looked pretty solid against the team that was known for really just running it down your throat whenever they wanted and however they wanted.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the promising things, right? Is the defensive line pretty much almost entirely comes back and, you know, Jalen Sami was getting better and better and better every game. Obviously Mustafa Johnson dealt with his injuries this year. And, and that's been, a problem, but you know, next year he'll be healthy, assuming he comes back, which, which I hope he does. Um, he'll be healthy and, uh, Lang got way better towards the end of the season too. I mean, so it's looking like something that's going to be a strength. We've talked about it a little bit before, um, you know, which would be great because we need to get pressure on the quarterback. And as much, I think that's something that can be said too about this game you know, we've been able to, we had been able to survive the two games prior by bringing pressure on third down. And we kind of realized against a team like Utah, you can't be, you can't be that predictable. Like you have to be able to bring pressure on other downs too. You can't just, you know, you have to be able to get to the quarterback on first down and second down sometimes with just your, just your linemen. And, and when all you can do is do creative blitzes on third down someone like Huntley, like eventually he's going to figure that out or he's just going to be mobile enough to escape and make, make the big play on third down, you know? So um, if our line can be improved, you know, you're looking at a defense that could be way vastly improved from this year. Yeah.
1: And, and like, like you said, I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit here, but that defense is all back and they're, they're not even all back, but they're gaining some stuff as well. Um, but as far as for the Utah game with the offense, I I struggle with kind of how I wanted to talk about the offense in this game because on one hand they only put up 15 points, but on the other hand there those were the two only two touchdowns that have been scored on Utah since September in Rice-Eccles Stadium. So I don't really know how I want to you know attack this game in particular. I think for me it comes down to the entire season for the offense, but we'll we'll get to that. And I mean Montez looked okay, I guess, 17 for 26, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Um, the the running game, though, had nothing going for it. Laviska Chanel was the only one that averaged over four yards, which isn't surprising, but when we can't run the ball, we're, we're kind of in trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, Utah, we knew this going in, that the Utah offensive and defensive lines were going to be really solid, and it actually took a little while for the defensive line to get going for Utah, um, and I felt like Montez started pretty well, and I felt like the running game started pretty well. And then by the end of the game, you see, you know, Utah had five sacks and seven tackles for loss, so they uh, they were getting they were getting to him eventually. And Montez, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of fitting that the last play of his Colorado career is him getting mobbed by two guys. <laughs> And sacked and and turtle sacked, turtled into the ground. Yeah, so um, it it is what it is. You know, it's we knew that Montez, guy who struggles when he's under pressure, and eventually Utah started getting him under pressure, and um, they struggled with that. Granted, like you said, fifteen points is more than a lot of people managed against Utah, so you kind of take it for what it's worth, but. You know, I know Mel Tucker, he wants to be at some point, he wants to be competing with teams like this. So, you know, and and it's hard to take 15 points from a game that you lose 45 to 15. I mean, the last touchdown was total garbage time. So um, it's, it's hard to say that it was like a, a solid offensive performance in any way, but that Utah defense was just, was just nasty. And um, they looked like it all year pretty much until they played Oregon and the a Pac-12 championship game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah i mean yeah the the U's last touchdown was definitely in garbage time but i also want to say kyle Whittingham's a giant douche because he had huntley (laughs) throwing deep in the fourth quarter with like like there was nothing to gain at that point i mean i guess maybe they're going for style points for the committee but like clearly yeah clearly you got to win the pac 12 championship to do that so maybe worry about that but (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that might I don't be know. a good idea that, that just
1: that pissed me off I just see Huntley dropping back with like four minutes left and he's throwing a bomb touchdown like all right yeah babe. it was weird but you know Winningham's kind of known to be a giant dick so I wasn't really <laughs> like so, extremely surprised by that um but you know the the other thing that that we kind of wanted to touch on here that usually this podcast is like pro special teams like we are the special teams podcast of the world. And this <laughs> pretty much this game was horrible. I mean, I mean, I guess I can't really you can't really blame anything on the kickers or really Alex Kinney. But even then, Alex Kinney didn't have a great game punting. But no, you know, the coverage on this on the punt or on the punt team was horrendous. Like they had so many holes. They almost broke, I think. I know of at least one other they almost broke for a touchdown but I I want to say it was two.
0: Yeah, I I I definitely had the feeling like I was worried every time we kicked it to them. So, that's if that tells you anything. Yeah, that it, it wasn't it wasn't a fun thing when every time we gave the ball to Utah, you think that they're just going to take it all the way back and and they did. It it almost felt inevitable when they finally took one all the way back to their end zone for a touchdown.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and I don't know, I, I guess I'm kind of, I was kind of surprised by that. Maybe the Utah special teams coach is just really solid, but for like, for the, most of the year, I was never really worried about when we were punting about people taking it back. Like there were a couple of ones where it was close, but I feel like that happens with every team every year, regardless of like who you are. So, I mean, I wasn't like really concerned with it, but then you had this last game where it looked like every time, like you said, they had a chance to take it back. So I don't know if that's something to, like, be worried for next year or if it maybe it's just, like, a one-time thing where it's just a bad game.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Special teams would be such a Utah thing to be good at, you know? <laughs> like, it's such a such a classic. Like, Utah's not flashy at all, but they're just really good at special teams and have a really good offensive and defensive line, you know? But um, I don't know. I, I feel like... The special team stuff, the guys who are actually on those teams, they cycle through all the time outside of the punters and the kickers. So it's hard to really say that's something to be worried about for the future, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's the guys that are running down next year, are probably, probably half of them at least are going to be different guys.
0: So Right, exactly.
1: It, I just wonder if like, it was a coaching thing like, where like, they didn't have guys covering the right lanes for whatever reason. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I don't know if it's a coaching thing or a focus thing or uh, the game started to get away from them and they were all just nervous type of a thing. Who knows?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think for the most part, you know, like uh, we were talking about before, I didn't have the greatest view. I'm not going to complain about where I was, but (laughs) um, it it was awesome being on the sidelines. But I just, I feel like you have a better grasp of like what happened this game outside of kind of what we've gone over. Was there anything really else you wanted to, to touch on before we head on to, to what we're looking forward to next season?
0: Um, you know, I, I, the only thing I would really say is, is I was, even though they got blown out, I kind of came away from the game feeling good about the direction of the program because they clearly, they were battling, especially the first half. Um, it was disappointing the way that it ended, but You know, you could tell that Utah was the better team, but it definitely struck me as like, I feel feel like Utah is a good example of where Mel Tucker wants to take us, you know? He wants to have that tough team, strong defensive line, strong offensive line, you know, really grinding out wins, beating people down, toughness kind of football. So it was kind of interesting seeing that. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see in a couple of years, like if Utah stays kind of where it is and, and if we keep going on an upward trage- trajectory like I think we're capable of um, to see those matchups in the future. I don't know. They could be could be pretty serious.
1: Yeah, I mean, that maybe those could like start to turn the whole rivalry talk into somewhat of a real thing if they start getting right. to be really competitive games, because I mean, they are scheduled for. For the end of the year, pretty much every year. So yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I, I guess leaving that game, I was, I didn't think that after losing by thirty, I could be like, well, I'm excited for next year. But I actually right, was. Exactly. I was feeling that way, and I think I told you as much as we were texting about it afterwards. So I mean, I think it's just, I think we really just ran into a team that is like really head and shoulders above pretty much everybody else in the pack, obviously except for Oregon. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think that when you're in the first year of a new head coach, when there were certain areas of your team that were just left in horrible depth positions, I think, you know, you can't really expect them to be a team like that, but it the only, the only issues I have really from, from this year were what really happened against Washington state and UCLA, because I I'm seeing why what happened to Oregon happened because I think you know Oregon and Utah I think are I think if they played 10 times it's probably a 5050 split and right. so I can see why we got blown up by Oregon but Washington State and UCLA really kind of like I don't like understand how they weren't either they weren't up for those games or like what really happened there and I don't know what it was really
0: yeah you know it, it was weird that <laughs> that those games went the way they did, especially considering like UCLA had less wins than we did by the end of the year. And and Washington state is, you know, they're they're a bowl team and and they're going to win a good chunk of games every year, as long as Mike Leach is their coach. But it just felt like the fact that it was such a blowout was, was a huge bummer. Um, And I agree, you know, those were disappointments. I think the, the one that hurts me the most is Arizona because that was a bad team. And at that point, they didn't seem like they were, but clearly by the end of the year, you're seeing like that is a bad team and we let them work us. And granted, you know, we were having, I think that was like the start of our serious injury issues because that was after the ASU game. Um, So, you know, the team that we were fielding wasn't exactly... Our full strength um but still i mean letting that one get away really hurts for me even more so than like air force i mean air force ended up having a really solid season like we thought they would yeah 10 and 2 or what did they intend to i, I want to say yeah 10 and 2 something yeah. like that um so they ended up actually being a really solid team so that one you know yes it hurts that they were so close and they couldn't make it happen but you could you could argue that they shouldn't have even <laughs> even won that game so you know that is what it is and then the uh the other one USC i mean obviously being up like they were with how little time there was left and and losing that one is unfortunate and some of the decisions that were in that game are unfortunate but you know USC again that's a eight win team and arguably i mean they have the talent to win to win 10 or 11 games so it that hurt too. But I do feel like Arizona, that was, that was the big one. That was the one that really killed us, kept us from making a bowl this year, which is too bad, but you know, still, still think they've learned some things from this year and, and the years ahead will get better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the USC one definitely
1: blew, like it hurts the most because we, we outplayed a team that had better talent for, right. Right. For 99% of that game. Um, with Arizona, I mean, it it bothers me because they're a bad team, but also Khalil Tate's gone. I'm not as yeah, worried about Arizona as I would Thank be. God. You know, if, if he was like if he if he was here for another three years, I'd be like, well, we're screwed. We're gonna go zero three against Arizona the next three years. But he's gone. I mean, yeah. Grant Grant Gunnell, He I mean, he looks like he could be all right, but he I mean, Khalil Tate put up video game numbers in all three games that he played against us, and. Yeah. I think by the third game, even though he really wasn't that good, he just like had that confidence from the previous two games that it was just
0: like inevitable. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah, that guy,
0: if he was still here for three more years, like you said, he wouldn't start a single game except for the ones he played against us. Exactly. (laughs) So,
1: yeah. And so, I mean, you know, there's pretty much whenever you have a five and seven season, you can always look back and, and pinpoint like a couple games. But, you know, I think... These a lot of these things that are a lot of these losses, like against USC or against Arizona. Maybe some of those are like first year coaching staff. Like the the, we have to remember this is Mel Tucker's first year as a head coach. Right. I mean, he was doing some things like punting when he shouldn't have earlier in the season, and you know, just things that he's not gonna that I, I would I would think he's gonna learn from as he continues on as as a head coach. And so I mean. You gotta be a little optimistic about that, and you can't just
0: you can't just think, oh, it's five and seven again, we're screwed. So yeah, I mean, I would argue he showed that he did learn from those things. Yeah, you know, towards the end of the season, you could see like he was making those more aggressive calls. They were calling him on the broadcast against when they were playing Utah. They were calling him an aggressive coach, an aggressive play caller. So. It seems like he he's definitely kind of learned from from where he was, which was good because the way the team was built this year, you know, you kind of had to be aggressive because you couldn't always rely on the defense to make a stop after you punt it on, in on the opponent's territory. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm with you. I think this five and seven hurts a lot less than last year's five and seven, and I would say no game that we lost this year was as bad as blowing that game to OSU that we did last year. Oh so, God. I just um, I wish that game never happened. <laughs> I know. I know. It still haunts me. <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, I mean, so as, as far as looking ahead to next season, uh, I guess let's start it off on a down note. Who who do you think is going to be, that we're going to feel is the biggest loss or the biggest impact uh, of not being on the team next year? And, and I, think, I think I'll just start us off with the obvious one, obviously LaVisca Chennault.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's like the number one go-to that hurts a lot um i mean he's like the most dynamic player we've had in in years and you really can't say enough about the guy i mean we were talking about it before the podcast he made his announcement that he was going to the nfl and the cu video team put together a highlight tape for him and it was like nine minutes long and all these plays were just crazy crazy plays if they weren't him scoring a touchdown they were him like fighting through five people to get six, seven extra yards or whatever, you know, just classic Visca things. And, um, it's going to be, it's going to be sad seeing him gone, but he was, I mean, he was the biggest weapon we had. He's the biggest weapon we've had for two years, arguably should have been for, for all three three years years. that he was here. Um, but yeah, so that, that's definitely going to hurt on offense. I don't know if you have anything else that you want to say about Visca before, uh, I, I chime in at least one, one guy here
1: yeah well, just to touch on what you said about the nine minute highlight video, like I mean, if you look back, I think and I'm not looking at it right I'm not looking at like what the numbers are, but I would guess out of the last in the last three years 36 games, obviously since you don't have any bowls in those three years yeah uh, I would venture he played like meaningful time in
0: what twenty four of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's... No, well, that's... Even no, that's not high. even No, that's high. The first year he played, you know, all 12 of those games, he didn't really even play in. So that's 24 right there. I mean, he had the one punt return for, for a touchdown. His first career touchdown. Or not punt return. Fumble recovery on a punt yep. for a touchdown. And I remember um, he
1: had, like, some, like, crazy diving catch. Maybe against USC?
0: Yeah, I want to say something like that. And then... So he really didn't play meaningful minutes at all that year. And then last year he played five games, really, to start, right, like full. And then this year he missed, I don't know, three, something like that. And then, like, was in and out for a bunch of them. So really you're talking about, I don't know, like max. You're talking 12 games that he was really like full go. Like therefore, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, and even
1: in those 12 games, like you said, like each of those highlights was you were like, "Wow, this guy is a physical freak." Like he's doing things that just most people can't physically cannot do. And so I mean, it's going to be I'm going to be sad to see him leave and um one one other person that I'm I'm going to be sad to leave. Dep- well, I guess it depends on how they show up. Next year, but you can say that about every every single person that we're going to be losing. But right, right. Arlington Hambright, the left tackle,
0: yes. Who
1: I mean, I think I don't think a lot of people really understand how important a left tackle is when you're protecting your quarterback's blind side. And I'm I'm, I'm confident that Will Sherman will move into that spot and probably do it well. Yes, but, I agree. You know that leaves the right tackle position, and maybe Frank Philippe is is good to go. But that's I think that's something that it goes unnoticed how important he was to this team, even getting to that five win mark.
0: Yeah. I mean, really, if you look at this year outside of the Utah game, I don't feel like we had a year or, or I don't, I don't really feel like we had a game where Montez was just constantly under siege. And, you know, last year that was a huge problem for us. So I think Hambright was a big part of kind of shoring the line up there and, and losing him definitely hurts. You're right. Um, it's it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with the offensive line. I know we have a couple of guys coming in who are recruits. I, I don't know if you think any of them will will see playing time right away, but like Carson Lee seems to be a big deal. so yeah, um I think there's a few others too, but you know it'll be interesting to see how they how they put it together. but I do think coach cap is a huge improvement there from what we've had in the past. so i'm I'm pretty confident that they're gonna at least not regress too much if they do.
1: Yeah. I don't, I'm not worried really about the offensive line. I mean, they do lose Tim, Timmy, Lenot, and, um, they also lose, uh, obviously, uh, Hambright. And then they also lose J- Jake Sh- Jack, Jack, Jack who was a walk-on, but he actually played some meaningful time this year because of Colby Purcell's injury. So yeah, um, they're technically losing three guys that played a lot this year, but you know, I think they'll be almost as good as the, as the line was this year. And, with another year under cap, who knows they could be a little bit better with the guys that develop with him under another year.
0: For sure. For sure. So,
1: you know, is is there anybody else on, on the offense that that you're going to be kind of bummed to see go?
0: I would say as far as other players on the offense who we are going to miss, I think Tony Brown showed that he could be a really competent second wide receiver. Um, I think, you know he's going to be missed just because of his consistency. I know he didn't have as many big games late in the year, but he really kind of carried us along while LaVisca was out this year. So that one, that one hurts for me. Um, it seems like again another guy who kind of improved every year, and you almost wonder if he just had one more year, what he would look like. You know, yep. Um, especially without KD or without uh, LaVisca being the center of the offense. Um, actually, speaking of KD, he declared for the draft, uh, today, yesterday, Uh, I want to say it was yesterday, yesterday, either way. Um, so he is also going to be gone That was a surprise to both of us. And and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more here in a second, but you know, we are going to lose essentially our top three receiving options, um, for our offense next year. and, And that could be tough. I do think we have the depth to replace it. Um, and there are some guys that, that I do like a lot actually that we have, like, I mean, I think Dimitri Stanley getting more touches is going to be a good thing. I mean, it seemed like he, he was very good at coming through when we needed him to, he made some big catches, um, in the Washington game. Even he made a couple of huge ones on that last drive. And seemed to be pretty reliable. So I think him getting more touches is good. He Daniel, was also like a, a one-handed highlight catch reel all right, year. <laughs> right, that guy had serious hands, has serious hands. Um, and, you know, Daniel Arias got a lot of hype in the preseason, showed uh, showed some talent on the touchdown that he had in the Utah game. You could see the, the abilities there. And... We've got a couple of young guys coming in, you know, it, there seems to be talent there to replace it, but it is going to, it's going to be hard for any team to replace your top three wide receivers. You know?
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, one person I wanted to, to give an honorable mention to on the offensive side, I think the, uh, the swaggiest four string quarterback in all of college, <laughs> Josh golden, like that guy just, he carried himself like a homie. So I'm going to miss Josh. Play caller. Yeah, but play signaler. Yeah, he always had that blue CU hat, which I mean, it makes sense. It was easy for them to spot him in the crowd, but right, right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna miss Josh Golden, but uh, onto the defensive side of the ball. My number one most missed guy from defense is, uh, and I don't know if this is me by myself, but it's a hundred percent gonna be Davion Taylor.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean he. By the end of the year, if obviously he had a couple missed tackles in the Utah game, but by the end of the year, I mean you could see he was playing at full speed. He was not thinking about what he was doing. He was just playing and reacting. And like, there were some plays where I'm trying to think of what game it was. It was uh, who did we play right before Utah? It was Washington. Washington, yeah. Where he just closed on. I think it was Salvan Ahmed running yes. a. a swing route and he closed on him so fast and you could see right next to him Mikhail Onu trying to close on him as well. And he just made Onu look like a high schooler with how fast he, like, I mean, he's just like, I mean, that's his track speed coming into play, but like he, we've mentioned it before is really only played football in actual games for five years now or four years now. So, um, he's another guy just like Tony Brown, like, just would love to see what he would do with one more year, but um, someone's going to give him a shot in the NFL because of that pure athleticism. And I think he'll be able to mold himself into a decent player.
0: Yeah. I, I wish so badly that we had one more year of Davion Taylor. I think that guy would be like all pac 12 next year. If, uh, if they could keep him around, cause he was really coming into his own. He was a weapon. Um, especially if, if our defensive line improves, like we think it's going to, he would be, he would have been a monster, but yeah, I mean, he's going to go to the NFL. He'll get definitely some looks, especially after I'm sure C will have their pro day and, and people will be blown away by how fast he is. Um and just like his f- sheer athletic ability is going to be insane. So he'll he'll get some looks. I would not be shocked at all if he makes a roster somewhere um just as a project if nothing else, but yeah. he's he's shown. I mean, He's kind of like, you know, when when, a- when Akello Weatherspoon came in here, um, he hadn't played for very long either, and he just improved so quickly and got a shot in the NFL and, and is making the most of it now. So I feel like Davion Taylor, he hadn't been playing that much football before he got here, but he's improved very quickly and maybe a similar, similar path will happen for him.
1: Yeah, well, and I think Akello too. He had, I think Akello transferred in after his freshman year from a Juco. So I think yeah. he had three years to develop, whereas Davion only had two. Right. So, right. yeah, I mean, I think I think they're on a very similar path where they could both, like, they just didn't play that much, but they were just such good athletes that it came to them at some point. It just kind
0: of clicked. Right. They figured it out.
1: Yeah. And, um, and then another one, but this one with, like, recruits and with what we've got coming back, if they can stay healthy – I'm not going to miss him as much as Davion, but Delrick Abrams is, he's going to be, I think we're going to feel that loss, at least for the first couple games, because, I mean, he wasn't like, I wouldn't call him a lockdown corner by any means, but he was pretty consistent throughout the year. And um, with the guys we got coming back, you know, Chris Miller and Makai Blackman, if they can stay healthy, then I'm not too worried, but we need them to stay healthy or else we're going to be, in a world of hurt, just like we were this year when people started to go down.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, Derek Abrams, I feel like is going to be a guy that's forgotten by a lot of people just because of the teams that he was on, you know? Um, But he, I mean, he's basically been our one really solid corner guy for the last couple of years now. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, it's going to be too bad to see him go, but I do kind of like the wide receivers. I think we're going to have, Enough talent to replace him. Um, it could be a learning curve a little bit, but with the way that some of the young guys have shown between, you know, KJ Trujillo and and Luckett and yeah, like you mentioned, Miller and Blackman aren't necessarily the young guys, but we're gonna have enough enough depth in there that I think we should be okay without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But
1: you know, other than him on the defensive side of the ball, we aren't really losing any other. Huge playmaker. I, uh, the the Mik- one
0: I was going to say, the one other guy I was going to mention was Onu. Yeah, um, it's going to be a bummer to lose that guy, and, and the safety spot is going to be not really a question mark going forward. But um, it, it would be great to see uh, some <laughs> to see them get a few people stepping in there. I know we got like Christian Gonzalez as a safety recruit, so who knows? Maybe he fills that spot and everything's okay. But it's kind of a lot to rely on a, a true freshman there. So yeah um we'll see what happens but you know he he did a good job of coming in to a new team as a grad transfer and kind of really stepping up to help run a defense that was filled with young guys and and everyone was new to his game so um I appreciate what he did for us let's just say that
1: yeah especially early in the year when he was a turnover machine he wasn't he wasn't as much in the end of the year but he definitely started off like it seemed like he was just a ball magnet
0: yeah for sure
1: um, but yes, I mean, other, some other guys that, that are going to be leaving that, and the, I'm going to start this one off just cause I'm going down the list and it's going to sound funny cause we didn't mention them at all. Uh, Steven Montez is leaving, <laughs> uh, Boba Shradd is leaving. Lucas yeah. Cooper, Neumoto Fallo, Davis Price, Alex Changham, Tim LaNotte. Oh, this guy, I didn't mention him cause we just talked offense defense. Okay. I have a lot of respect for this guy because I was a long snapper in high school myself. JT Bale, four-year starter at long snapper, and I don't recall, I'm sure he probably had one, but I don't recall any, like, errant snaps that he
0: had in his four years here. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that sticks out in my memory, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and, like, those, I mean, it's it's hard to find a guy that consistent. I mean, they'll, they'll find somebody that's going to, like, be serviceable, because everybody in college football does, but, um, I mean, he's been here for four years, and he's been doing a great job for four years, so... I'm gonna be bummed to see him leave. Um, oh, and Alex Kinney. Yes, as we said. of course. As we said, the the special teams podcast. Yeah. Um, so both those guys are gone. Uh, and Kinney was actually a full blown weapon by the by this year. I mean, he was just like pinning people deep. He was putting people inside the twenty. He was giving it so much hang time. He had sixty yard punts. Like he he was incredible this year.
0: Yeah. Hopefully that's not a struggle for us <laughs> next year and and the years after that. But he was he was great, man. He was great. You, it's punter is one of those positions where you you don't know what you've got till it's gone, you know. But we were trying to give him props while we could.
1: Yeah, and well, I mean, to be fair, I think the uh, I think if I could be wrong on the name, I think it's Josh Watts. The CU does have a commitment from a a punter from like the Australian kick camp. Oh, right. Stefano right. came from pretty much all of Utah's like. Past nine specialists have come from. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a good camp. They do, they do pretty well over there. So we do have a punter coming from there, and then um, the only other guys gonna be losing Jalen Harris and Tam Bright, who we already mentioned. So All right. Um, oh, and Katie Nixon. Um, but you know, Katie, I I hope I really hope he gets on a roster. I just I don't know if I see it.
0: Yeah, Katie's, you know. That's, that's an interesting one to me. I mean, I, I understand, like, being in school isn't for everybody, you know, and, and if he just wasn't into college at all and he felt like he was wasting his time there, that's fine. But you've got to think that most people felt like it would have been a good idea for him to come back another year, if nothing else, just to get some numbers behind him, you know, being, like, maybe not the number one receiver, but more of a primary receiver next year with LaVisca gone. Seems like an opportunity for him. Um, it, the problem is just with his size. I mean, when you're that size and you're going into the NFL, you have to be blazing fast. Like you have to be insane speed. And Katie is fast, but you know he's not. He's not Tyreek Hill fast. He's <laughs> not like as fast as probably Christian McCaffrey or. You know, I mean, some, there's like smaller guys who just have crazy speed and that's how they make it in the NFL. And and you're looking at guys who need to run like four, three in the 40 or or faster <laughs> yeah. and um, to really be like serious weapons. And, and I don't know that that's him. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe he has his pro day and, and does really well on some of the physical stuff. But I just, I would be surprised. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. You know, I hope... I hope for the best for him. I, I hope he, he makes, I hope he makes a roster. I, I hope he does well. Obviously we'd never, never wish any, any buff, um, anything other than that, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. Cause I personally, I'm with you. I, I don't really see where he fits in in the NFL. And, and I just think it would have helped him to stay another year. Yeah. I mean, I
1: think for him, maybe, maybe some of the things that crossed his mind were, he's going to have a brand new quarterback next year and he doesn't know. Maybe he's not, he doesn't, he isn't confident in, in the fact that they could get him the ball more right. than he has recently. Um, and who knows, maybe next year guys come in and just play over him. Right. Right. Like, who yeah. Maybe
0: he's worried about what's coming next or something. Right. Like maybe. who's
1: yeah. to say that Daniel Arias and Maurice Bell don't take over for next year or Brendan Rice or Keith Miller or, You know, so I mean, those guys are those guys are all playmakers too. So for sure, there's I'm sure there's a ton that went into it, but like you said, wish him the best. I just I I I really hope that he can get on a roster somewhere in like training camp or something.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. (laughs) I keep saying that, but I yeah I I'm I'll be following that story for sure to see where he ends up.
1: Yep. And so um, speaking of. Of guys like Maurice Bell and and Daniel Arias, what you know? What do you think has the highest upside or the most? What position groups have the most optimism for you going into next year?
0: Okay, well we might as well just get into this because, like you said before, we didn't even mention him in the last uh, <laughs> the last set of stuff. And and look, I want to be very clear about Steven Montez. In terms of college quarterbacks, I can't really definitively say that there are that many guys out there that were that would have put us better off than he was okay he did a lot of good things some of my fondest memories of cu are thanks to him when you think back to like 2016 and and the oregon game and and some of that stuff you know but at the same time now we get to see what a new quarterback looks like um you know that might not be good for us, but it also could be. Maybe we get someone who's more in line with what Jay Johnson wants with his offensive scheme, you know? Um, I don't know at this point in time. We don't know if they're going to get a transfer quarterback or if they're going to go with Brendan Lewis. I think if I had to guess, I would say at this point, considering we haven't really heard anything on the transfer quarterback front, I would say it seems like Brendan Lewis is probably the most likely option. I don't know what you would think there. Um, yeah, I mean I think I don't know, I mean I, I heard
1: uh on the Buff Stampede podcast, um I heard them say, you know, you can't compare Brandon Lewis to Jaden Daniels from Arizona State because Jaden Daniels no. was the number one dual threat quarterback for last year's class. And right, I'm not, not I'm not saying all. Yeah, I'm not saying he's gonna be that good. Um but you look at him And you look at, like, now I'm blanking on, like, all the schools, but there were a bunch of schools this year that went with true freshman at quarterback and just kind of rolled with it. And, you know, they took some bruises along the way and probably lost some games that they wouldn't have otherwise, but they also gained a ton of experience for this guy going to the next year. And so I think, you know, if he's got a grasp on the offense, I would just say just give it to him. You know, I don't. I, I, from what we've seen in Lytle and Stenstrom, it doesn't look like they are quite there yet in terms of the ability. But we also haven't seen them play
0: a ton of meaningful snaps. So no, I I would say if if Lytle or Stenstrom are our starting quarterbacks next year, we're probably in trouble because we're, yeah, it probably means that Brendan Lewis wasn't what they thought he was. Unless unless I mean, there is a small chance that. Maybe Lytle does something and, and just improves a ton, or Stenstrom does the same thing, whatever. But most likely that's a bad sign for us um, if those guys are in there. The one thing I wanted to say about Brendan Lewis is he clearly, as much as he's not he's not the same level as yeah, Arizona State's guy, clearly, but um I just feel like he could fit better. Like if you just look at our offense this year, the number of times that we had these kind of read option handoffs to the running backs versus the number of times Montez actually kept the ball and ran with it. Like it's very, very heavily weighted on one side. And I feel like a guy like Brandon Lewis could actually make it more of a, they actually have to worry about both sides of that play. Mm -hmm. Um, So he doesn't even have to be that much better. Just his sheer athleticism makes that more of a threat. You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, I, I'm just interested to see what a quarterback like that looks like with our offense to see if it if it can improve, maybe just be more consistent even uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think it. I think that, he, like you said, even the threat of it, like even if he doesn't take it, they're going to have to be more aware of it with him than they were with Montez.
0: Sure, because yeah. he's a
1: shiftier, more, more athletic guy than Montez was. So I mean, he can, he can be dangerous in that kind of game which judging from Jay Johnson's past offenses the quarterback does run a lot like not you you know he's not running like Lamar Jackson numbers but he's they're, <laughs> yeah. they're running they're running a decent amount and, and making it a third threat you have to be worried about especially when you're running an RPO so you know I I, I want to see Brendan Lewis and we'll see him in the spring game so I mean we'll get to get an idea but the spring game is never really a good barometer right it's, right the spring game to me is more. You can only see what's a really big issue. Right. Like this year, we knew the secondary is going to be an issue because of the spring game. Both the starters and the non-starters were getting torched. All right. And then um, we also saw how Stenstrom looked pretty awful, and so did Lytle. Actually, no, Lytle had a no. It was Neuer that had a good game. Neuer, yeah, moved. yeah. Um, but you know, Lytle and Stenstrom looked bad. So I mean, I think if if we go to the spring game and he just looks like he's swimming, then yeah we're screwed, but, (laughs) um, I mean, I think if he looks, if he looks competent, then I think that's a good sign for him to be starting probably at the, in Fort Collins
0: come August. Yep. I would agree. Um, yeah. So quarterback, maybe optimism, maybe not. We'll find out soon, but I, I lean towards the optimistic side just because he's going to be a different kind of player.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely do as well. So, Um, other, other positions for me, I'm, I'm, I'm really optimistic and I don't think anybody would disagree with the defensive line. Yes. I mean, they're getting everybody back. We already touched on it. They're getting everybody back. They're adding Antonio Alfano, Jordan Berry, you know, there's some other recruits that might be coming here. And so I am really looking forward to how that, that line improves because, you know, Brumbaugh for, for most of the year, I gave him a lot of crap for not being a good recruiter um but he obviously meshed well with Alfano because you aren't gonna come to a place where you don't mesh well with the position coach even if Tucker started that relationship and then uh the the guys that were kind of thrown to the fire the freshmen, and the Juco guys that probably shouldn't have been playing but had to because there was just no nobody there no nobody buddy there you know they they seem to develop well over the years so you know even if he's not the best, in know recruiter
0: he seems to be at least developing guys really well yeah i i mean it definitely seems like it it's totally hard to say after one year what what a guy is really bringing i mean it, it seems seems like he's been able to develop guys pretty well but i'm with you i'm just really excited because of the talent that we're gonna have there uh between alfano hopefully he'll be eligible to play um that would be great. Fingers crossed on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, Mustafa coming back, Jalen Salami coming back, Terrence Lane coming back, Uh, who knows, the kind of uh, recruit stuff that's still on the table, um, possibly coming back. Um, And really that front seven or the front, yeah, just the the defensive front in general. I mean, Landman should be coming back too, so our linebackers should be at least decent. You know, Um, Perry's going to be playing that star backer, which is more of a more of secondary kind of a position, but we saw the weapon that he is when he's sent on a blitz. So he's mini Cheeto. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm. I feel very positive about what we're gonna have as far as a pass rush next year for sure. And they've shown that they could stop the run as well. So that's been great. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I mean, just overall, I think the defense. I, I'm relatively optimistic on the defense, except for the safeties. Yeah, I mean there, like you said, I don't know if it's necessarily a question mark, but I guess it almost is. I think you have Raikstra on one side, and then who? You know, yeah. I mean? You're either going because Isaiah Lewis clearly couldn't even pass Lucas Cooper on the depth chart, so <laughs> right. I don't, I don't see him playing. I mean, I don't want to see Sam Neuer back there. So I guess it's in my in my mind, it's Chris Gonzalez or grad transfer or bust.
0: Yeah, so, I'm I'm hoping that they that someone just reveals themselves as the obvious spot there. It I think this is where Aaron Maddox transferring hurts us the most. I would say because um, if he was staying and we could have Rakestraw and him back there next year, I'd be feeling good. Yep. But him deciding to transfer that definitely hurts. That we're not going to have him um, back there next year because that other safety spot is. Is a definite question. And I feel like, I mean, Gonzalez is probably the best bet. I, Neuer, the thought of Neuer being a starting safety is it's very scary for me. So hopefully someone shows up there. Um, I mean, obviously, like Mark Perry, I believe, was supposed to be a safety, but I think we've talked about it before. That star position that he plays is like probably arguably the most important position for this defense. So he's better off there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's hard to say who's going to fill that spot and it'll definitely be something that we'll be looking at for the next couple of months and just in the future going ahead to see how they figure that out.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just looking now in the two, four, seven transfer portal. Um, so (laughs) I was just looking at some safeties. One guy (laughs) that's, that's going to be that's going to be on the market. Trey Bishop. He was a he was at Georgia, a four-star recruit. Then he went to the JUCO ranks. So I'm I'm assuming that Tucker has some sort of knowledge of him. And so, I mean, I'm just, like, trying to think of, like, who guys, who who we could get back there because safety is one of those positions that you could probably play as a true freshman relatively well. But I'd still rather have just some sort of depth there because we can just see, like, this year, even if Chris Gonzalez does come in and plays well, I mean, if he gets hurt, then what? Right. Yeah. Have so, the Same
0: problems all over again.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm that, that's really I honestly think that really, aside from the 50 50 split between optimistic and pessimistic for QB, I think safety is really the only spot on the team where I'm like, I think that there could be a step back.
0: Yeah, I mean, on the defensive side, I would say, yeah, on the offensive side. Right. We mentioned the QB thing. Um, I think we're good running backs-wise. I think we're going to have a really strong running back room next year, actually, with the guys we have now, and then just adding a shot at Clayton. I mean, it's going to be a strength. We talked about the offensive line already, wide receiver depth. So, you know, there are definitely some other spots where we could see drop-off. I mean, the wide receiver thing, I think we have the depth to replace them, but I also don't think we have another Lavisca Chennault just waiting in the wings, so you know that could be a decrease um, but you're right other than that i i feel pretty good about where the team's going to be to start next year there's there's not really anything that i have no hope for like there was this year kind of with with the corner safety area so
1: yeah so i mean i think that's i think that that end of itself is is a reason to be optimistic about next year because that's those really are the only things that, that you have to worry about and Granted, QB play if it, if it turns out to be a negative is the most impactful. But right. um, I, I think that Tucker knows he's got to figure something out there.
0: Yeah, I you know Mel Tucker, I think of anything has proven himself to be a smart guy. He knows how to coach a football team, and he he's I mean you saw as soon as that Utah game was over, he's out there recruiting. So he's looking for guys to fill the spots that he needs, and I'm sure that they're keeping an eye on on the transfer portal. I'm sure they are talking to different guys. It seems like they've already done things to alter their uh, scholarships that they've given out. And, you know, they've had to lose some guys to pick up some better rated players. I mean, this could be a totally different outlook by the time the spring game rolls around. Who knows? They might get some guys that we're not even talking about right now.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, outside of, outside of the individual position groups or individual players, Um, what are some reasons, in your opinion, to be excited or to be unexcited for going into next year?
0: Well, um, I would say, optimistically, I, I think it's pretty well regarded around everyone who follows the buffs that Mel Tucker seems like he's moving the team in the right direction. So, Um, they could be like a more hard-nosed team. They could be tougher. Just the things that we saw this year, hopefully, you know, we don't have the defensive lapses that we had at the beginning of the year. Um, just guys more comfortable with the schemes. Like that's all positive stuff. We already talked about the positions. Um, you know, those, those are the positive things around the league, you know who knows what Arizona is going to be next year. They had a down year this year, and and there won't be Khalil Tate, so that's a positive thing. Definite positive. Um, Utah is losing their big three, um, so that could be a positive for us. I think they're gonna they have a couple of guys who are all draftable players, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm trying to think who else around our division. I mean, obviously ASU and, and USC look like they're on. They're on the up, but you know, it, I feel like there's room in our conference, at least in in the South Division, for us to make some noise um next year, which is which is good. Because the schedule doesn't necessarily get easier. No,
1: it does not. I mean, just looking at the schedule to start the year, if you I mean if you want to compare oh now I can't pull up the twenty twenty schedule. I have it. Uh, here yeah I mean, if you want to look at comparatively Colorado State obviously same team at a wash I think a and m is unequivocally better than Nebraska yeah, and then I think you know I think Fresno State had a down year, but I think on average they're probably about even in talent level as an Air
0: Force team so yeah I mean i I would say I would even say too Colorado State. I wouldn't necessarily call it a wash only because it's at Colorado State. Um, granted, they have no one filling up their stadium, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they get enough people out there because it's the first game of the season. And they haven't gotten their brain stomped in enough times yet. Um, like so that that I'm only like just slightly more worried about that game for next year than I would have been for this year. Obviously, Texas A&M at College Station, I mean, that would that's that's a tough game right there. Yeah, especially, it's going to be real tough. Especially if we're going to have a true freshman quarterback going in there. Um, and Fresno State, I think, you're right. I think they're probably pretty comparable to Air Force. I, I would say the one thing I'm happy about is they don't run a weird, gimmicky triple option offense that we have to worry about. So we yep. can at least just play them straight up, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not an easy schedule by any means. There's no, there's no one that I would call a cakewalk. I mean, who knows with Colorado State maybe, and they're having some coaching changing stuff going on too. So, uh, that should be an easy game, but the mm-hmm. other two, I would not, I would not call that at all. Yeah, I mean, then we get
1: we get Oregon again. At, that one is at home, granted, but then we also have Washington State, who's always decent under Leach. At home. And then on the road, we play Stanford, who's probably going to bounce back, USC and Washington. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's going to be tough to get six wins, but I think you have to if you want to show tangible progress in, in building this program back up.
0: Yeah. You know, the six wins thing, I I agree. Like, you really, really want those six wins, but it's it's going to be hard, I think. We're going to get together. Um, I think we were saying our, our next – next podcast would probably be a little bit after the spring game and Mm -hmm. i think when we're looking at the schedule then six wins is probably going to be like a a optimistic um optimistic outlook not that they won't be able to do it not that it won't seem realistic but um it's it it could be tough considering the fact that you're looking at one game in the in the non-conference that's pretty pretty clear like loss if you ask most people and some other games that are going to be 50 50 it could look a lot like this year actually where you're going into it where they need to win some serious coin flip games to uh to make that happen so we'll see i hope it happens i really do because it would be great to finally make a bowl again it's been too long yep it really yeah i mean 2016 just feels like a dream yeah it really does it really does Uh,
1: I, I want to see more than one one season where you just have like all the right guys, all seniors, just like dominating because they're tired of losing. Uh, I would just like to, I would like to see teams that are just competent year in and year out. So, um, moving on from from like teams and whatnot, what are the coaches that have ended up impressing you or not impressing you? And if they haven't, you know what to, what do they need to do next year to kind of warrant
0: staying on another year? um okay so coaches wise I mean I feel like and I think you feel the same way Mel Tucker I think we're both on the same page seems like the right dude so yes. we'll just start with head coach that you can check that box off um feel good about him coordinator wise defensive coordinator Tyson Summers I was pretty low on him at the beginning of the year because all the problems now I kind of flip the other way I feel like um, I feel pretty good about what he was able to do with what he had, considering the injuries, considering how young the the guys were that he was working with for the most part. Um, that said, if we get the people who we think we're going to have, if we have guys like Alfano, if our defensive line is what it is, if Nate Landman's back there, um, you know, if he, if his defense struggles again, then you're looking at some questions for sure. So he, he needs to have a strong year next year. It needs to look more like the Washington Stanford defense than the other, other games where they gave up over 30 points, you know? Um, but he, he is, he's impressed, but I still think he has some more work to do some more to prove. Um, and then I would say Jay Johnson, the other coordinator, obviously on the offensive side, he, I think he has a lot for me personally, he has a lot to prove still. Um, he started good. There are things about his offense that I like, and I'm interested to see what a new quarterback looks like in his system. But it definitely had its serious ups and downs throughout the season.
1: Yeah, for I mean, I, I was pretty much going to say the exact same thing as you were for Summers, and the only thing I'd really add for Jay Johnson is I I've always thought that I'll withhold judgment on him until he has a quarterback that really fits his system and that can also go past his first read.
0: Okay, right. yeah, that's true. So, yeah.
1: I mean, if if we see you know, Brendan Lewis or insert starting Buffalo's quarterback for 2020 here going through motions and, or going through his like reads and progressions and just the offense isn't designed very well and there's still terrible play calling and questionable decisions, then I'll be like, "All right, you got to go. We got to get something somebody in here that like can can run this offense because it's Even with Montez, I mean, the talent on this offense this year should have been putting up points like crazy, and they just didn't. Right, right. So, I think they're both kind of on like a let's see what year two brings, and if it's, like you said for Summers, if he still struggles with some of the talent he has and having the guys in the system, then he needs to go. And then if Jay Johnson still struggles with a different QB that can run through his reads, he needs to go. So, um coordinators you know i think they're both uh i don't like they're not i don't think they're safe but i don't think they're like hot seat seat yeah yeah i
0: would agree i don't even know if they struggle next year i don't even know that they need to go necessarily either it just depends on what the struggle is you know so that's fair we'll see um but clearly you know mel tucker believes in these guys i mean jay johnson not that Georgia's offense last year was a world beater, but their offense has clearly taken a step back since he left. And Jake Fromm did say he was like the the secret key to the Georgia offense. So I don't know. If you could take anything from that, you could say maybe he has some stuff up his sleeve that will help us in the future. Um, I don't know. Uh, I hope they both have solid years. But uh, yeah, you could put them somewhere in the middle between hot seat and (laughs) safe not really too far on either side but yeah i would say the one difference between them is summers has a little bit more of a positive uh kind of upswing to the end of the year and i would say johnson has a little bit more of kind of a negative kind of downturn towards the end of the Mm -hmm. year
1: yeah i I would yeah i would 100 percent agree with those and then um just to make it easy Is there one position coach on either side of the ball, or I guess on both sides, so one from each side of the ball, that either really impressed you or really kind of disappointed to the point where you wanted
0: to mention it? Uh, I mean, I would say, as far as impressed, I I think Coach Cap. obviously we've talked about him before with the offensive line. Yeah, Coach Cap for sure. Um, I think he he really seems like he was able to turn that position group around for us very quickly. So that was great to see. And yes, he got some more talent in there too, but you know, I mean, there were reports coming out that players were being like, Oh my God, this is what it feels like to actually be coached. Um, so yeah. So he's someone who I think definitely impressed offensively. Um, I I don't know that I would say that there's a position coach that I am disappointed in really on the offense. Um, defensively you know it's it, I guess it's it's hard for me with the defense because the scheme was so new mm-hmm. and we did have so many injuries and so many issues that way um, that I, I don't know that you could really pinpoint like one position coach I, I mean I don't know if you have different feelings I know we've had some guys that we've talked about earlier in the year but um, it it's hard for me like you know, you could say the corners struggled, but by the end of the year, we're talking about two true freshman corners, one of whom who got converted from wide receiver. You know, or like the linebackers struggled, but they did kind of have it figured out by the end of the season. So, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I was I was gonna say on the defense. If we're taking recruiting out of it, I think right, right. Um, taking they all, yeah, I think they all did pretty well in getting their guys in position to make plays by the end of the year. Um, I think if I wanted to just mention somebody that's been overly impressive, not necessarily. Well, I guess I was just going to bring recruiting into it, but <laughs> um, Mike, Coach Mike, uh, Mikealowski, he's, yeah, he's actually the second best two four seven rated recruiter on staff behind Tuck or er, Chev. So I mean, I was I was pretty impressed with him, actually, especially since he was, you know, elevated from his like QC position like right away. So um, for him, I, I was pretty impressed, but. Right now, I think, you know, as far as coaching ability, not, not taking recruiting into it, I'm not going to say that any of the coaches need to definitively go or anything like that.
0: No, I don't think so, which is an improvement from where we were earlier in the year. I mean, we definitely had at least one episode where we were talking about position coaches and there were a couple of guys who we really felt like needed to step their game up. So, yeah, um, you know, I guess that's good to see. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, as I think that kind of will, will wrap it up for for our Thoughts on the buffs, at least for this year and then going into next year. Um, obviously, since there's not any games this upcoming weekend. We'll, wait, do the bowl games start on this weekend, actually? Uh, they might. I think they start I want to say they do, the 14th. But um, instead of doing some bets of the week, I think we're just going to go over kind of what our thoughts on the playoff were, or playoff, what our thoughts on the playoff are. And so, um, Chase, I'll let you get started with the, the two semifinal games, kind of what you think is going to gonna happen there
0: uh so i mean personally i i gotta say (laughs) i feel like the the committee got kind of lucky in the way it worked out like i don't feel like there was any real argument about who belonged in those spots i mean clearly like lsu ohio state clemson made it easy and then oklahoma was kind of the last one standing of that group of teams where you're like oh maybe they maybe they make it in you know uh so, it, they made it easy on them. Um LSU, the first semifinal, LSU and Oklahoma, I I really feel like that's going to be a blowout, to be completely honest. Uh, I just think LSU is on a different level. I think no matter who is the fourth place team, they're probably going to get blown out. Um, you know, Oklahoma has had their struggles, and, and LSU and Joe Burrow, they've just been, been killing people. Uh, the one thing I would say about that one is, Oklahoma's coach Lincoln Riley you know you're giving him time to prepare for a team and prepare for a defense maybe he gets his offense clicking so well that they can keep up in a shootout but I just think it's it's unlikely um and so yeah I would take LSU in that one And, and in the other semifinal with Clemson and Ohio State you know that that could be a serious seriously um intense game there But I personally got to say, I feel like Clemson's going to pull that one out. I just think they're pretty similar balance wise. And you're just going with a team with a little bit more experience. You know, I mean, I I think Ohio state has been great. Obviously that's not taking anything away from them. And I do think this game will be close, but I kind of feel like Clemson is going to, it's going to sneak through that one.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I pretty much have nothing to argue with the LSU Oklahoma game or really with either one. I think, the whole LSU versus Ohio state, like, you know how there's so such a big debate between the fan bases on who should be number one. Right. Right. I think the reason they really wanted to be number one is because neither one of them wanted to play Clemson. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I mean, I think Clemson, I think Clemson, Ohio state and LSU and LSU, like for a little bit there, people were like, well, their defense might not be good, but I think it kind of showed it's, it's not a top five defense, but it's like a top 25 ish defense in the Mm -hmm. country probably. So I mean, I think LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson are all complete teams, whereas Oklahoma has turnover issues and just an average defense. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I I think LSU wins that one in blowout, and I'm not going to touch the Ohio State-Clemson game spread <laughs> unless either team is favored by, like, more than a touchdown. Because right, right. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think, honestly, if, if you're asking me, I think that's that is the real national championship. Because as as unreal as LSU's offense has been, their defense still isn't on the level that Ohio State and Clemson's is. So I don't I, I think that's gonna be the real national championship with two best teams, but I think Clemson will win just because Trevor Lawrence has been there and won it already, even though he's only a sophomore, and then LSU should easily take care of Oklahoma. So I got L S U and the Clemson in the final.
0: Yeah, I uh, I agree. I I think you know, who knows? Maybe I feel like that's a sentiment that's kind of been going around. So maybe Ohio State kind of takes it to heart and uh, and gets past Clemson. And you know, LSU. I gotta say, man, as much as I agree, I do agree that I feel like they're not they're not as balanced as the other two teams. I mean, Joe Burrow is amazing. So I just have a hard time counting them out of any game. I agree. I, I think if they were to come up against, you know, Ohio State and and he's got to get around Chase Young all the time or Clemson and get past whoever's on their defensive line and, and all their talent and and really experience, um it's going to be a tough task, but I think of all three of those teams, I don't know that you could really count any one of them out in in a matchup.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. They did put up they did put George's defense to shame and that yeah. defense is literally a top five defense I mean, in the country. It
0: really impressed me. It really impressed me. That's all I'm gonna say about that.
1: Yeah. So I mean if you if it ends up being LSU Clemson the final, who are you taking?
0: I mean I gotta say probably Clemson. I mean like I said, I think it'll be closer than most people think. I, I do think Joe Burrow is the type of guy who's capable of keeping him in a game. And I would say that I think LSU's defense is, is a little sneaky as far as it hasn't looked great, but I almost feel like they kind of, cause they have the talent. I mean, there are guys on that defense who are going to be first round draft picks. And definitely it just seems like maybe the, the big games are where they're going to step up, you know? Cause yeah, Georgia doesn't have a great offense by any means, but you know, it was tough sledding for them the whole game. Um, I do, yeah. I, I think it would be Clemson. I do. <laughs> I yeah. as much as I honestly would probably be rooting for LSU a little bit more. I I think oh, it would I be definitely Clemson. would be. I think I I they seem like they really got it rolling. They've got this whole like nobody believes in us thing that Dabble Sweeney's pumping into them. You know, whether it's so whether it's long, true yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, I I feel like they're probably the best bet to get there.
1: Yeah. So
0: um. Like I
1: said, I already think that Clemson will win it. But rolling with the the LSU discussion, uh, again, since we're doing this a week after all the games have played out, we didn't have any necessarily game-related or weekend-related tweets of the week, but LSU put out this Heisman hype video for Joe Burrow today on Tuesday the 10th. (laughs) And it was the coolest video I have ever seen for a Heisman campaign or really just for like just in general for a hype video, I think it might be the coolest video I've ever seen. So uh, I'll link that in the description. Super cool video. It's only like a minute and a half, so go check it out. But that's going to be the tweet of the week for for this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the LSU video people, they've been putting out some some fire stuff with Joe Burrow. I mean, did you see the senior night stuff that they did? No, that, I didn't. That they had this shot of him on his senior night running through this tunnel of people out onto the field into that stadium just Packed to the brim, that crowd like it. It gives you the feels. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, and I'm not even an LSU fan, man. But it, it was some pretty impressive stuff. So, um, yeah, it that video, all the videos that they've been pumping out, have been real, real solid. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that after this. I'm gonna Google the the LSU se- the
1: Burrow senior night. Video, yeah. So I'll check yeah. that out. But um, you know, as Chase mentioned, we'll be back probably after the spring game for our next episode, kind of go over what we saw there and what it looks like with all the changing, you know, rosters change from here to there a ton. So we'll be back after that to go over that. Um, But you know, as always if in between now and then you think of any questions or something to look out for during the spring game, just hit us up at shoulder to shoulder pod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, subscribe, leave five star ratings, leave some reviews. It's going to be a little while before our next podcast, but you know, obviously, if you're uh, listening to this episode and, and you want to leave leave a nice review for the road, maybe a, a good rating here for, for the end of season, we would appreciate it. Um, and as always, thanks for listening and sco buffs. Sco buffs.